Hi, hello there, friends. I'm your host, Kendra Winchester, and this is Read Appalachia, a podcast celebrating Appalachian literature and writing. And this is episode 13, which is the third uh, episode in our Poetry Corner series. So today I'm talking to Marlanda. Uh, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Well, I thought we could start with a little intro. You could tell folks about yourself and really anything you want to share. Yeah. Um, my name is Marlanda DeKine. I'm a poet and cultural worker living in Georgetown, South Carolina. It's where I grew up, um, at least since I was six years old. So the, the part of the world that I remember most and is most in my heart. Um, I have written two books. Um, the first was self-published called I Am From A Punch and A Kiss, came out in 2017. And my second book, which is more like my debut collection, is called Thresh and Hold. And it was published by Hub City Press after winning the New Southern Voices Poetry Prize selected by Gabrielle Cavacaresi. Most of that book was written while I was living here. I had moved back home, but I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, I'm, I'm from Georgetown and happy to be tuning in. So I always love to ask poets because poetry is, I feel like a very unique and, and special art. How did you get into writing poetry? So I entered poetry and I'll, I don't think this is strange to me, at least when I'm listening to other interviews. For me, it was a lot of angst growing up, um, a lot of emotion that I would express very physically. I'd break things. And so when I would get very angry, my mom learned, you know, she started, I think she realized I carried a journal around. I don't think she was too sure about what I was writing in there. I was really into Ghost Rider, the TV show series. And so I was trying to take notes from spirits and things like that. And so when I would get really angry, she would encourage me to write. And I would write rap songs and poems. And I didn't read poetry growing up, so it wasn't that I was trying to imitate anyone. It was more so me trying to get something out of myself, very much expression. Um, and there was also maybe an improvisational and performative side to it, Um it wasn't until I was an undergrad that I began to read other poets and I began to read and listen to spoken word poetry, um, especially Saul Williams and Patricia Smith. And then when I, I would say probably, I don't know how many years later, but sometime after finishing my master's in social work, maybe about eight years after finishing that, I finished that in 2011. So 2019, I went back for a master's in fine arts. Um, I started with NYU in Paris. And that's when I began to really, really read poetry in a broader sense and go back and forwards and, you know, side to side. So that I would say that's how I've come to poetry. I've been I've been growing in it throughout my life. I really love that you're from South Carolina. I always love to support uh, hometown people um, or home state people, I should say. 
For you as someone who writes from place, who writes from um, your hometown in South Carolina and what and how that has impacted your poetry, um, what is that like for you? Is that something that you started out doing or was that just how you felt your poetry returning um, to that place? Oh, that's a great question, Kendra. I think I think I've always been reaching for something that probably, you know, since I was a kid, I wanted to know, like, what are we doing here? And what what happens when we close our eyes? Where does everything go? Why is it dark when I close my eyes? So these really, like, contemplative moments I had as a kid and then becoming, I guess, what we call an adult and having similar questions but looking around the land where I grew up and realizing that there are objects all around me that my ancestors have touched and wondering about their wonderings and what they thought about where we're from and what we're doing here. Um, And I think some of these uh, big questions for me, they come from maybe even a lineage of of wondering around... um, colonialism and what I'm doing here as a black person, particularly in the South, you know, how did we get here and what is my life going to be here now? I think all of that's rooted very much in geography and place and like Southern black vernacular traditions like the church, thinking about spiritual home and thinking about what it is to be in a place that doesn't look back. Um, So all of those things, I think, inform my writing. So very much place, but also a displacement. And I definitely find that in a lot of of your poetry uh, and the way that those themes kind of reprise themselves throughout the collection. Um, You up for starting? Uh, starting with some poetry reading? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to start somewhere I don't usually start. I don't read this very often. I'm going to read a poem called If Anybody Asks You What's the Matter With Me. All you need to know about this poem that I find particularly interesting, my sense of humor, is like the first couplet really happened. If anybody asks you what's the matter with me. When I was 11 years old, my ma dropped me at my daddy's family graveyard and drove away. If I kept worrying, it's where I'd end up, she said. Terrified, I hid from my last name like a purple lizard beneath a magnolia leaf. I crossed the road, marking my distance. I put my hands in my pockets Calmed, running for my life. I didn't want to point. I tried to avoid the ingrained D. I tried not to smell my grandma Lizzie's perfume, moss balls rising from the dirt. I listened to the chickadees around me. Today I drove myself to our family graveyard with my windows slightly ajar. I watched smoke fleeing from my cigar. I'm sliding in no more struggle. I got out. I poured one for my Aunt Angie. 
The next poem I'd like to share, uh, you can probably hear me turning pages, but I think that's a good sound for something like what we're doing today, Kendra. But um, it's a poem that many people are drawn to. They reach out asking questions about it. Um, so I just, for that reason alone, I want to share it. It seems to be stirring something up in people. And uh, I think that's important um, when you're thinking about what you want poems to do. You know, what do poems make happen is the question. But but when you're really thinking about how something works on somebody else's body and what it makes them think about for themselves. The title of this poem is My Black Rural Queer Childhood. I want my body, but I don't want it to be called a body. Reminds me of when my family and I were driving through Manning, South Carolina. I was the first to see the big black sound, the buzzing in all our ears. I'd never heard of a horse fly. I just knew it was big. I screamed and our big brown caravan stopped at a triangular median, smack dab in the middle of a small downtown road. I screamed. The horse fly buzzed and smacked itself into the wide windows of blue sky. I don't remember. I can spot a single ant on a dark surface. Maybe I've been afraid to claim my body, afraid to be wild, and break out into all this sky around me. Perhaps I can burst through ceilings and glass, explode into joy. The next poem I'd like to share is called Collecting Myself. Let's see. It's really funny when um, you've written a book and you have a hard time finding any of the poems in the book, <laughs> here it is, collecting myself. I opened the door and all the girls were gone. No one was peeking into my bathroom stall anymore. No one asked me if I am a boy today. It was just me, sitting on a cold floor, waiting to open my eyes. I imagined their spit was river water shined by moon. I could drink from it. Their laughter bloomed into my bloody noses. I loved all the girls. The closest I got to one of them was in fourth grade P.E. when India aimed the baseball and caught me hard in my eye. She ran over before the teacher could see and she searched my face for blood. I waited for her to pick me up like I belonged to her. And um, the last poem I'll share uh, with you all is uh, Perhaps I Am a Fugitive of Empathy. And that sounded like a question, but I think a lot about, I'm reading this book called Dark Days by Roger Reeves. And there's a moment in an essay, and I don't know which essay, but where he's talking about how 
empathy is lacking in that it it invites us to swap bodies with another so that we can somehow wonder what it would feel like if we didn't have what they don't have or if we were attacked in the way they were attacked. But it's not complete because it, it it's requiring you to imagine this person as yourself. So it's centering yourself. Maybe not I'm not I'm not describing it as best as I could, but it made me think about this poem, which was written before I read that. I'm really interested in what it means to be someone that is intentionally hiding, what it means for a speaker to hide in a poem and to not reveal everything and the reasons for why that speaker might decide to hide and escape. And where does that speaker go to escape? Why are they escaping? And when we think of a term like empathy, which is something that we're often invited into, who is it? leaving out and what is it requiring of someone in order to be empathized with you know do you have to deem the person as human before you can empathize with them and if so who has the real problem there so enough of that perhaps i'm a fugitive of empathy vigilant for so long i am full there are centuries of terror crawling just beneath my skin. I no longer consider anyone's noise as my noise. I care for Henrietta Lacks and all the names whispered in my ear by the live oak trees. I don't care about the father of modern gynecology honored on South Carolina's golf course capital. Memory floods when I walk on grasses because white clovers pushed honey while black penises fell upon them. I think of which bodies have saved bodies without permission, without mutuality. I think of black bodies that didn't make it off the bloody table. So I don't die at the hands of myself standing in the shoes of whiteness. I've been dancing with my spirit beneath old cedars. I've been building my imagination by visiting with feral cats. I've been burying my feet in the dirt, staring at magnolia trees and counting waves in the Atlantic, exhausted of singing in an empire's hopeful choir. I've been sitting with my grandmas in their photographs while wafting frankincense and myrrh, and I've been thinking about what Nikki Giovanni said to James Baldwin in that resurfaced interview on the language of love. If you don't understand yourself, you don't understand anybody else. Thank you. I love your poetry and the way that when you're done reading a poem, there's just something that there's just the ideas of the poem echo back. There's like this quality to it where those last lines just, just linger in your mind. And it's just so effective in that way. That's a great compliment. Thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm sure I could listen to you read poetry all day, um, but I, I know we all have lives to get back to. But first... Uh, this is a book podcast, so I wanted to give you the floor again to share any books you would like to recommend to listeners. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I think I just, while we're here doing this particular recording, 
about 18 books were just dropped off on my porch. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm always reading something. Um, what I've done is set aside a few that are like touchstones for me of uh, peers and then a one um, kind of master poet that I would say a master poet in my mind, a master teacher. Um, so I'll start with my peers um, who I also view as master teachers in, in many other ways when it comes to, you know, how one lives one's life in the world as a poet. So Destiny Hemphill is a poet out of Durham, North Carolina, who has a chapbook called Oracle, a cosmology, and a debut collection that came out just this year called Mother World. And I would say that I love this, these books because of how the poet makes family into a portal and how the books invoke ritual as a form of poetics. Um, the next poet, I could say so much about, about Destiny's work, but that's I'm going to leave it there for the sake of time. And if there are any questions that you have, please, please ask. Um, but that's that's where I'm at on those. Um, the next poet's work I'd like to recommend is Tyree Day. Uh, Tyree was my professor, one of my professors in my MFA program at Converse College. I'll graduate in January. And um, that's where I, I transferred into. And uh, his work is very, very much rooted in place, but it's distilled into story and song, making you hear that place with him. Um, the first book is River Hymns, also chosen by Gabrielle Cavacaresi. Um, it won the APR Honickman Award, the American Poetry Review. And then there's Cardinal, published by Copper Canyon Press. Um, so those are two books. Another book that's very monumental to me is Dr. Ra Malaika Imhotep's Gossipin, um, published by Red Hen Press. Um, Kyrie Day, I should say, is out of Youngsville, North Carolina. Dr. Ramalika Emlotep is out of Atlanta, Georgia. And is um, that book I'm drawn to because of Black Southern vernacular tradition and Black feminist lineage. I learned so much when I reread this book. And the last book I want to share is who I was speaking about as master poet and teacher, Nikki Finney's Rice, which I think is almost 30 years old. Um, and it was published by Northwestern and Tri-Quarterly Books back in, I think, 1995. So it's it's got legs on it, and I find it as a book we'll be reading for a very long time. It's very, it's not informational for me. It is, it situates me and where I'm from because Nikki Finney is from about 15 to 20 miles where I grew up. I grew up in Plantersville. And what I understand is Nikki Finney grew up in Conway, South Carolina, not very far away. And I find myself drawn to this book because of ancestry, lineage, and the songs that Black Southern people are made of. And all of these authors for me 
they just echo over and over what black mothers and black matriarchs do in the black South and what they do for the world. And I mean world as in internationally. And so um, those are the books I'd recommend. Well, I will make sure to include all of those books linked in the show notes so folks can go get them as well as your book, Thresh and Hold. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and, and reading your poetry. Thank you again for having me. It's been uh, it's been wonderful. My favorite thing to do is read poems. So thank you for inviting me on. Okay, friends, that's our show. A heartfelt thank you to Marlanda DeKine for coming on Read Appalachia today. You can find all of Marlanda's social media, info, etc. linked in the show notes. Like I mentioned earlier today, you can find a myriad of ways to support Read Appalachia on readappalachia.com. You can find us across social media at Read Appalachia. You can find me across social media at KD Winchester. And make sure to join us next time for our episode all about rural young people's literature. Until then, happy reading. <laughs>